Dr. Jeff, thank you for being with us today, man. I, I really want to encourage you to go visit their table right after the service. Um, however you're wired, there's a way that you can get involved there, and it is a ministry worth getting involved in. Uh, let's pray, and we're going to jump into God's word together. So, Father, we come here today, a ton of things going on in our minds, in our hearts, doubts that, that swirl, fears that entangle, questions that surround, and yet we recognize that you're the one that stands firm. And so, Father, today, would you, would you speak, Spirit, would you empower your word that it might intersect our lives in a way that would lead us to walk in more of the fullness of joy that you have purchased for us? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. When I was 11 years old, my dad's company that he was working for in California uh, closed their doors. They had um, offices uh, all over, and we were offered four different places to move. We could either move to um, Sacramento, Las Vegas, Salt Lake City, or glorious Denver. And praise be to God, my parents chose wisely. Um, and so I can remember, I, was growing, I grew up in California, that was all that I knew. My parents were involved in helping to plant a church there. We were really, really involved. And so leaving that place was like tearing up roots that had been um, drilled deep into the soil of uh, where we were. And it was a difficult thing to leave. I can remember two things about leaving. One, there were a lot of tears. Two... At one point in time, there was a circle of people who surrounded my family and I. And to the glory of God, we all sang with tears pouring down our face, Friends Are Friends Forever by Michael W. Smith. <laughs> Friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them, right? And, and anybody else been a part of a situation like that, right? We can have a recovery group up here afterwards. Um, and so my family, we left and we, we moved to, to Colorado and um, transition times, moving change is, is a difficult thing, isn't it? It can be, it can be. Um, a number of years later, my, my wife and I, we were serving, I was serving as a college pastor at a church in San Diego and um, a church in Colorado called me um, to be their lead pastor. That's, that's you guys, South Fellowship Church. And as we were trying to think uh, through whether God was leading us down this journey to come and, and serve as pastor here of this church, that decision point, that, that transition time was one of the most difficult times in my life. I can remember driving um, with my two kids in the backseat of my car. I was, my wife's a teacher. I was taking uh, my oldest son uh, to preschool and my daughter went to a friend's house where they watched her and I drove right past my son's preschool and I thought, what am I doing? I turned around, I drove right past it again. I thought, someone's stolen my brain, right? Um, I finally, I get there, I drop him off. I forget my daughter's in the backseat of the car. I drive to church, I park in the church parking lot. I'm getting out with my bag over my arm about to shut the door and from the back seat my daughter says hi daddy <laughs> I mean I'm like a moment away from being a statistic you hear on the news right like it was and I'm, I'm going what is wrong with me I mean I don't know if you've ever walked through a season of change or a, a transition but they can mess with our heart and our soul and our mind in some pretty crazy ways can't they I think there's two types of people in the world. There, there's one type of person, and that, that's the person who's probably a little bit more realistic, and they go, all right, change is coming, and that's, that's a difficult thing. And this stirs up anxiety in our heart and in our soul and in our mind. 
And then there's these other people. They're sort of like a unicorn. I mean, they, they love change, right? Do you know anybody like that? Anybody like that in this room? Okay. They love change. They thrive on it. And it just, it feeds the excitement that their soul needs to really feel alive. I don't know how you approach change. I only know that change is inevitable in life. And it's not if it comes for us, it's when it comes for us. And so for some of us today, we're, we're in a season of change. I, I think the timing of this message is divine in that this happens to be in the flow of our year, times when graduations happen. Right, so somebody changes. They're not in elementary school anymore. They're, they're now in middle school. And the middle schooler gets into high school. And, and there's some high schoolers that are graduating. And they're, they're moving on to whatever God has for them next, into the a workforce. Or they're going to college. There's, there's some parents in this room. And you're looking at your clock, your calendar, going, all right, in, in three months, we're going to have no kids in the house anymore. Right? And some of you are going, praise the Lord. Right? Others of you are going, oh, they'll be back. Right, they'll, 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 don't, don't get too used to it, right? They're coming home, don't worry. Um, there's some of, some of you who are transitioning out of the workforce. You're, you're retiring. This is, this is the year, and change is coming for you. It comes for us all. It comes for us all. And it came for Jacob, too. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, um, you know that we're studying the life of one of the great patriarchs of the Hebrew faith. His name is Jacob. His grandfather was Abraham. His father, Isaac. And, and he's Jacob, one of the great patriarchs that we look to in the pages of the scriptures. But if you've been with us, you recognize that his life didn't get off to the greatest start. He was the second born in a firstborn society. He was loved more by his mother than by his father. And in a patriarchal world, that didn't work all that well for him. And he wasn't a hunter like his beastly brother. He was a gatherer. He liked to cook soup, and that worked to his advantage sometimes, but it didn't earn him the affection from his dad and the people around him that he deeply longed for and that his soul needed. And so Jacob stole the blessing from his brother. He pretended to be his brother. And he was on the run. His mom sort of shoves him out the door and says, go live with your crazy uncle Laban, right? And Laban is the only person in the Jacob narrative who is more shady than Jacob. It's when Jacob encounters Laban, he's looking in a mirror, and he works for Laban for 20 years, for 20 years. We're going to sort of jump into the story uh, in mid midway through today, and if you have a Bible, you can open to Genesis chapter 30. So Jacob has married both Leah and Rachel. That's a long story. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to download uh, that message or watch it online. Jacob has married both Rachel and Leah, Laban's daughters, his cousins. And he um, is at the point now, at the point now, where he starts to think about going home. Here's what the scriptures say, starting in verse 25 of Genesis chapter 30. It says, and as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I might go to my own home and my own country. Just a quick time out. So we start to recognize that while Jacob has lived here for at this point, when he says this, um, he, he's been there for 14 years at least. But when he says this, you start to see he's never felt like he's been home. There's always been something else on the horizon. There's always been a, an unsettled nature in his soul. 
Let me go home, he says. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. And Jacob senses that it's time, it's time to leave. It's time for a transition. And he'll go on to say, and you can read about this in Genesis chapter 30, he'll go on to say the reason he feels that way is because he's grown as much as he can in the place that he is. He's gotten sort of, he's, he's maxed out, he feels like. Under, under Laban's wing, he can only acquire so much. He can only gain so much. He can only grow so much. And, and he reaches a point where he's grown as much as he can. And he says, all right, now it's, it's time for me to head into a different season. It's time for me to, to chase that, that dream, that promise that God placed back in his heart and on his life in Genesis chapter 8, where he said, behold, I'm with you, speaking to Jacob. Behold, I'm with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. Say it with me, church. And I will bring you back to this land. So he goes, all right, Jacob, there's going to be a time. There's going to be a time where you're going to outgrow where you're at, and there's going to be a time where you're going to need to think about not staying where you are, but coming home. And what God promises Jacob years and years ago is when that time comes, as scary as it is, and let's just be honest today, transitions are hard, aren't they? Change is scary. There's a reason that there's a promise of God's presence that undergirds this promise of change. I'm with you, and I will keep you. I'm with you and I will keep you. So I wonder for us today, what type of transition we might be looking at? What type of change might, might be coming in our life? See, for, for Jacob, it was the change of where he physically lived. Now, we live in a transient society where people move all the time. And that's sort of the world that we live in. But for Jacob and the world that he lived in, that was rare. Because their very livelihood, their wealth, their identity was tied to the land that they lived. And so for them to be uprooted and for them to move would have been earth-shattering, risky, faith, bold, like you've never seen before. So when Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, gets a word from God, gets a promise from God, when God says, I want you to leave the place that you're at to go to a land I will show you. We don't have a modern-day equivalent for just how risky and crazy that was. And now Jacob is following in his grandfather's footsteps. So maybe it's that stirring from God, where, like the, the, just the, the ground that I'm planted in is not where I'm called to flourish long-term. Maybe that's it, but, but maybe not, maybe not. And if it's not, please don't say, well, this message isn't for me. Because change is a part of our lives, even if we stay where we're at. Because change has to be a part of the way that we think, right? And we're all in the process of, of hopefully, hopefully, um, diving deeper and deeper into what it means to be a child of the Most High God. And we're all in the process of learning what it looks like and what it means to not just sing a song that says, I'm no longer a slave to fear but I'm a child of God, but to live with our feet on the ground in a way that reflects that theological truth. And sometimes that means that we need to change some of the things going on in our head so that we can walk in the truth of what God has declared. 
So maybe it's not, we've got we to leave physically, but maybe God will challenge some of you this morning to say, all right, maybe it's time to, to ditch the lie that I've been sinking my heart and soul into and to move forward into the truth that I know God has declared. Maybe for some, though, maybe, maybe for some, there's just this, like, sadness over your life. I can remember for a long time after my mom passed away, I almost felt guilty about being happy and laughing because I should, and my thought was, I, sh- I should be upset and I should be sad, um, but in this moment, I'm not. And for me, it was a change to say, okay, there's freedom. There's freedom to find joy again. There's freedom to walk in the goodness that God has made, to, to see not, not the pain that's out there, but, but to see the joy that's on the horizon. Maybe that's it for some of you. Maybe for some of you, it's, you're, just, you're, you're angry, and it comes up in different ways in your soul, and it comes out on the people around you. And there's an invitation on, this, on the table this morning from God to say, all right, maybe, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to, to walk out of that season and into something new because here's the thing will you look up at me for just a moment it's better to be uprooted than it is to be grounded in the wrong field it's better to have to wrestle with the change that comes and the uncertainty and the pain that inevitably comes along with it than it is to be grounded in the wrong field And so maybe you've grown as much as you can, or maybe there's this calling of God on your life, or maybe there's a promise that you feel like God has given and it's time to step into it. That's the way that Jacob felt. Now here's the truth that we're just going to sort of circle around today. And this is the reality. You know it and I know it, is that times of transition or change are filled, filled, filled with unprecedented challenge. Anyone want to say amen? Amen. And, and immense growth, immense growth. And part of the challenge of life is that it's both of those things. If it were just one or the other, we could either dive into it with both feet full on, or we could avoid it like the plague. But the reality is change brings both challenge and growth in a way that maybe nothing else in our life does. Change is hard. I mean, Jacob, when we encounter Jacob at this part in his story, he's lived with Laban for 14 years. When he ends up actually leaving, so he's, he's 91 years old, when, the first part in this story. When he ends up leaving, he's 97 years old. And that's a heck of a time to make a life-altering change. I'm going into a new career field, right? Wow, Jacob, good for you. 97 years old. And he wonders. You wonder, as he steps out, if the questions swirl in his soul, what if what I step into is worse than where I'm leaving? What, what, if, I, what if I don't even make it there? What if my brother sees me and after these many, many years is still holding that grudge and takes me down? And he has this conviction that it's better, it's better to be uprooted than it is to be grounded in the wrong field. See, change always comes with uncertainty. It does. But it also always comes with growth. I I, I love the way that Benjamin Franklin put it when he said this, if you're done changing, 
If you're finished changing, you're finished. Period. Change is a part of life. And another person said, change is inevitable. Uh, unless you're talking about a pop machine. Then it's not coming. <laughs> That's the only time. Some of you are going, wait, what? what? Soda? Soda? Are we soda here? I always forget. Yeah, I think we're soda. Okay, whatever. Whatever. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. And that's a great thing for you and I. Not an easy thing, but a really, really good thing. So Jacob says to Laban, hey, it's time for me to go home. And, and Laban says back to him, verse 27 of Genesis chapter 30, if I've found favor in your sight, if I've found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Verse 28, name your wages and I will give it. So Jacob says, it's time for me to go. And Laban says back to him, um, not, not so fast. What were you making uh, a few days ago? I will give you as much as you want, just so long as you'll stay with me. So Jacob has this promise from God stirring in his life. And Jacob, or Laban, his uncle, comes to him and says, just work for me a little bit longer. To make a long story short, Jacob says yes, and he works for his uncle for another six years. Six years. So from the time God stirs the promise in his heart to the time he actually leaves to go where God's leading is a time period of at least six years. Don't you ever just want to say back to God, like, hey, could you, like, condense the time a little bit? Like, just give the promise when you want me to go, and I'll, and I'll go. But here's what Jacob does, and we learn so much from Jacob's life. Here's what he does, and, and you may be entering into a season of transition, and it may be coming faster than you think, and it may take a lot longer than you ever dreamed. If it takes longer, you're in good company with Jacob, and when it does... Keep working while you're waiting. That's what Jacob does. So, so Jacob enters into the season of being a shepherd, of caring for Laban's flocks. And, and God's plan of delay is actually a plan to prepare Jacob for what he has for him on the horizon. See, we often see it as waiting, and hey, every life is filled with waiting, Amen? Every life is filled with waiting. But what we call waiting, God often calls preparation. God often calls preparation. And so we don't have a huge value of preparation in our culture, in our time today. We live in a microwave culture where we want it our way and we want it right now. But God knows better than that. He's here, this Justin, he's smarter than you. And he will often put a dream in your heart and a promise over your life and a calling. And then, and then, and then he will prepare you to step into what he's calling you towards. And let's just admit, that's a really hard season sometimes, isn't it? To walk with God in the waiting. I love, for Jacob, there's this dream that's been birthed inside of him that he just, he just can't let go. He knows the future that's on the horizon. He knows the calling of God that's on his life. And God says, no, I want you right now. I want you here. And I want to prepare you for what I have for you there. 
See, if we want to wait well, just three really quick things we've got to do and things that Jacob does. Waiting is not passive. Seasons of waiting cannot be passive where we just sort of take our hands off of the wheel and go, well, whatever happens, happens. Seasons of waiting must be actively engaged. See, because in this waiting season, God expands Jacob's flocks, he expands Jacob's wealth, he expands the reach of his little tiny kingdom, Jacob's, and he's preparing him to step back into the land that he left. Had he gone right away, he would not have had what he needed to flourish where God was going to plant him. And so that's a, that's a word for some of you here this morning. If you just go there right away, you will not have what you need to flourish where God wants to plant you. Now, this is sort of my generation and younger. Um, we hate the process. We hate the process. We hate working our way up. I can't tell you how many um, people that I talk to that are younger than me, maybe graduating from college or graduating from seminary, and the dream job is in their head. And they're not going to say yes to anything but the dream job. You know what that means? They're going to be unemployed. Because they aren't ready for the dream job yet. God hasn't stirred in them. He hasn't prepared them. He hasn't readied them for that. So what if we committed to walking the journey with God rather than looking for shortcuts to the destination? See, God stirs in Jacob, one, be actively engaged, value preparation, value preparation. But as you do that, three, don't lose sight of intentional vision. God, this is where you're calling. And God, this is what you're doing. Because sometimes, sometimes, so Jacob starts to flourish. He starts to be mightily blessed by the hand of God. His flocks are expanding. He lives three days away from Laban now, so he put some distance in between he and Laban after he accepted that, um, the, the job offer to stay with him. He goes, yeah, 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 we, I'll stay with you, but I'm putting three days in between you and me, buddy, because you're shady, and I know shady, right? And so he's three days away, and his flocks are flourishing, and his land is flourishing, and his people are flourishing, and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And what I love about Jacob is there comes a time where he says, I've grown as much as I can in this place, and it's time for me to leave. I love that because sometimes God's biggest blessings can also be some of the greatest hindrances to, his, to being obedient to him. Isn't that true? God, you've blessed me where I'm at, so I, I can't leave. I can't, I can't touch that. I can't, I can't mess with that. You've been so good, and your hand is so on this. I can remember when we were thinking about leaving the college ministry that we were a part of in, in California, and, and it had grown a lot in the five years that we were there, and God's hand of blessing was all over it. One of the hardest things about embracing transition and change was leaving something we knew God's hand was on. That blessing sometimes can block us from obedience, can it? Sometimes it's easier to say, yeah, or say, say, God bless you as you go to kids that are leaving the house if they're just a pain to be around, right? My parents didn't shed a tear when I left. Other kids, it's, it's hard. They're a huge blessing, and it's harder to let them go. Sometimes God's blessing can be a hindrance to our obedience. But listen to the story. Jacob, I love Jacob. He says, God, I'm following you. I'm walking with you. Chapter 31 
And now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all of that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he gained all of his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And the Lord said to Jacob, return to your land, the land of your fathers, to your kindred, and I will be with you. So this is six years later, after he gets the call to go, after he senses the stirring to go, he gets this word from God, now is the time. So they start to pack up all of their things, they start to get ready to make the move. Um, along the way, one of his wives, Rachel, it says that Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods along the way. So as she's getting ready to go, she says, all right, I'm going to go and take my dad's little idols and I'm going to bring them along with me. Now, just sort of tuck that into the back of your head, because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But as they're going, as they're going, and, and they leave, they pack up everything, they leave. There are three days' journey ahead of Laban. He gets word. He gets word that they've left. And he goes, and he starts to chase them down, verse 25. And Laban overtook Jacob. That means he caught up to him. And Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban, with his kinsmen, pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me and driven my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? Now, if you believe that Laban would have actually sent him away in this form and this fashion. I have some oceanfront property in Arizona I'd love to sell you. There's no way. There's no way. But here's the picture. Here's the picture. Jacob has decided it's transition time. And God, you're calling me to go. And he's packed up everything that he owns, all of the people that are with him, the wives, the children, the possessions, and he's taking all of them, and he's walked somewhere around 300 miles on this journey, and he's gotten to a certain point, and now standing in front of him and the promise that God's given him is great uncle Laban. And isn't that the way that change feels sometimes? You get, you get going and you're walking with God, and then right in your way stands some opposition, some resistance, some pushback. And so not only if we're in that season do we need to work while we're waiting, but we need to expect resistance. But hold on to promise. Hey, you've never seen a good movie that didn't have resistance. You've never read a good story that touched a piece of your soul that didn't have some form of the protagonist being blocked from getting what he wanted, what he set out to get. It is the form of every good story. And here's the truth of the matter, friends. It happens in every good life, too. It's not just the stories that we read, it's the lives that we live. Anytime we want to follow God into something new, into a new season, maybe it's in a mindset and an emotional stronghold that's in our life and we sense a transition out of that, you better believe if you decide to go, there's going to be some resistance along the way. But just this, 
History, though, is filled with men and women who pushed through opposition, said no to destructive fear, and ended up changing the world. I mean, history is not full of people that had an easy road. You know that, right? Um, Martin Luther King Jr. was thrown in jail over 20 times as he led the civil rights movement. He had multiple crosses burned in his front yard. His house was bombed, was lit on fire, and eventually he was killed. But he believed in this movement. He believed in the value of the personhood of every single person that walks the face of the globe. And he wanted that equality and he fought for it. You better believe he encountered resistance and he pushed through it. It's why we still read about him today, you guys. And we live in a culture where it's so easy to just tap out and say, listen, if it's hard, I'm done. But praise the Lord for people that have said, if it's hard, I'm going to hold on to the promise, and I'm going to keep going. If you read about uh, Malala Yousafzai, I butchered her last name, Yousafzai, who stood up to the Taliban. In 2009 through 2011, she wrote this sort of underground blog that the BBC newspaper picked up and they started publishing about how education, women were getting robbed from education by the Taliban. And they picked that up, and in 2012, she was getting on a bus, and there was a Taliban soldier there who identified her, shot her three times at point-blank range. She didn't die, miraculously enough. She had a bullet that went through her left eye socket, down through her shoulder, and out the other side. And she refused to stop. She continued to fight as an activist for women's rights, women's education under the oppressive regime of the Taliban. She was nominated for um, a a Nobel Peace Prize in 2013, and she was the youngest winner of the Nobel Peace Prize in 2014. She said, I will not stop. I will not stop. You will never go through a season in your life where there's fruitful change that happens And you don't encounter opposition. You never will. You will never grow your faith in a way that leads to your flourishing without opposition. I love the way that um, Frederick Douglass put it when he said, without a struggle, there can be no progress. And we love looking at that for somebody else's life, don't we? We can identify that. Oh, that's true, right? but what about the things you're facing in your life right now? What about the problems that you're looking at, the giants on the horizon, the mountains that you have to climb relationally to repair things or uh, as a transition moves in a job or career or where you're living and you're looking at the mountains and going, man, there's no way we can do it. I'll say back to you, there's never been a time in your life where you've grown and you didn't face opposition ever. See, Jacob believes this promise of God, and he immediately encounters opposition. I mean, he's just a few days along the way. God has spoken to him. Hey, Jacob, it's time to go. And Jacob's like, all right, I'm gathering my stuff. I'm gathering my people. I'm gathering my multiple wives. I'm gathering my kids. I'm gathering gathering all my stuff, and I'm on the way. And a week into his journey, he sees his nemesis staring him in the face. Don't you wish a promise from God equaled easy passage to the fulfillment? 
And see, we can try to read the scriptures in a way that would suggest that, but you can't read them in context and think that. You just can't. He believes the promise, and then he encounters resistance. He confronts it directly, he speaks truthfully, and he remembers God's provision, and so he keeps going, he keeps pushing. Genesis 31, I said I'd come back to it. Genesis 31, verse 30. We have this issue with these stolen gods, these household idols that Rachel took. So after a back and forth between Jacob and Laban, Laban says, And now you've gone away because you longed greatly for my father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered him and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out, what I have is yours, and take it. And now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Jacob gets himself into a precarious situation. Verse 33. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent, in the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out to Leah's tent and went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and had put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt about the tent, but he did not find them. And she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry. I cannot rise before you for the way of the woman is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. What, what an interesting story. I mean, first of all, wow. Okay. But second of all, I mean, so here's the, here's the narrative. Step back for a second. Jacob senses a new season is on the horizon. Jacob is leading his family into a promise, into seeing God move and seeing God work. And in his caravan of his possessions lie these little household gods, these idols, these worship of foreign gods, not Yahweh, the one true God. And so the question that we have to wrestle with is, will new seasons and seasons of change also invigorate and invite us to new devotion? Or will we just carry with us the old and plant it down in a new field? That's what we're wrestling with. That's what we're seeing. And so the encouragement that I hope we all take away is that seasons of change would also mean not that we, we work while we're waiting, we expect resistance, but that we embrace refinement in the midst of disorientation. Because that's what this whole story revolves around. God, you're at work and you're moving and you're leading and we're doing our best to follow but receiving the promise from God always, always, always carries with it a season of God's refinement in us. Will we let go of the things that we've put as ultimate on the throne of our heart and follow our good God to the new season that he leads? See, we can, we can fight that or we can surrender to it. They have this decision when these household gods are brought up. Are we going to hold on to them and just take them with us and plant them in a new place? Or will we, we, we call it repentance. Will we turn? Will we turn from the false gods that we've been worshiping? 
And will we bow at the throne of the one true God, Yahweh? Will we, will we repent? Will we change our mind? It's interesting, this story's thick with irony because what Jacob says is you can kill whoever you find holding the idols. It's ironic because idols always kill. They always kill. They always lead to death. Bowing at the wrong throne and centering our life around the wrong thing always leads us to a place of regret and pain and hurt because idols always promise something that they cannot deliver. See, refinement in this way is hard because it requires repentance. It also requires that we step out into this place. And this is why most of us hate change. Where we're out of control. Where we're out of control. So, so God, if I, if I let go of this thing, what are you going to replace it with? What are you, you going to put back? God, if I let go of this anger... What's going to fill that place? God, if I, if I let go of this sadness, what's going to dwell there? If I, if I let go of the bitterness and the unwillingness to forgive that's driven my life for years and years and years, what do I put back in that place? That's why change is hard. And what Jacob and Leah and Rachel wrestle with is, God, in the midst of being disoriented, will you, we allow you to mess with us? Refine us, shape us, make us more into your image. And hey, here's the thing. This just in, God is ruthlessly, passionately, ferociously committed to that in your life. He's committed to refining you. And the scriptures say that he will use any and every situation that you walk through in life in order to do that. See, he works the, for the good, together for good, for those who are called, who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's his plan in your life, to shape you and make you and mold you to the image of Jesus, and one of the seasons he does that most is in seasons of change and seasons of transition. So, the story ends with Jacob and Laban coming to terms with each other. They make a covenant. It says in verse 44 of chapter 31, come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and I. And they decide how to divide all the stuff, and they decide that they're not going to go any further than this pillar that they set up roughly halfway between Laban and where Jacob will eventually land. And this is how that account ends. It says, and Laban said to Jacob, see this heap, this pillar which I've set up between you and me? This heap is a witness. And the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this pillar to me to do harm. We're not, we're not going past this. I can remember my brother and I shared a room growing up, and we used to have a line down the middle of it, right? And we're not, you're not allowed to go past it. Conveniently, the door was on my side. He had to figure that one out, right? So you're not allowed to go past this area. But what's going on? See, Jacob, at this moment, encounters the point 
of no return. He's saying, all right, I can't, I can't go back now. My, my face has to be set towards where you're going. There's boundaries that are set, and there's a commitment now in Jacob's heart and mind and life to the new future that God has placed in his soul. So how do we navigate seasons of transition well? Commit definitively and walk confidently. That's where he finds himself. I can't go back. God, I'm going to remember your blessing in the past, and I'm going to build my life on what you've done and remembering your goodness, but I'm not going to live in the past. I'm going to walk with you into the future. I mean, I don't know. I don't know about you, but, but that, that hits me. That strikes a chord. Jacob's life strikes a chord with me. That there's some things, some new things that God is doing in my soul. Some things that, that I'm passionate about, that he's leading us as a body, as a community of faith into. And I am so excited about that. I think a lot of times we want to see God's faithfulness. But we don't want to take the risk to step out in faith. And so, so much of our life is spent longing and hoping and praying and dreaming, and those are all good things. But there comes a moment, friends, in all of our lives where we are called to step out and to put our faith in practice, not just songs that we sing on a Sunday morning that are absolutely true, but a life that we live. And if you want to see the faithfulness of God in your life, it demands that you take a step of faith. Take a step of faith. And that's going to require some change. Maybe in a mindset. Maybe something in your heart and your soul that you've just held on to. Maybe it's geographically and physically. But what is the thing that God's calling you to say? It's better to be uprooted than it is to be planted in the wrong field. See, seasons of change, times of transition, they are the most fruitful times we'll walk through in life. They're also some of the most, most difficult, which is why the scripture's instructions are so clear. Work while you're waiting. Work while you're waiting. Trust God's promise. Walk with him. Know what he's called you to. Know what he's called you to. Know there's going to be resistance. Know it's going to be difficult. Just file that in the back of your mind. See it as a time to clear the deck, to refine your commitment, to give your life fully and totally to him. And then, friends, step out in faith. Let's pray. So here, as we're closing this morning, some of you, this is the season you find yourself in. You know God's calling you to, to, to something new, something different. Maybe it's in a, a, a thought pattern. Maybe even today you're going, Lord, I'm, I want to trust you for the first time with my life. Some of you, it's, it's letting go of some of the anger, the bitterness, the lack of forgiveness that you've walked in for a long time. For some of you, it's, hey, I'm just, I'm planted in the wrong field, God. I, I, wanna, I want you to uproot me. I want to follow you into this, and, and I don't know what that means. 
that's you, will you just raise your hand? You're just going, yeah, that's me. I'm in, I'm in that season right now. Yeah, I see you. Hands all over the place. I just want to pray over you. So, Father, we know that these are really hard times, times of transition and times of change. They're times of uncertainty. They're times of questions, doubts, fears. All of those things swirl. Father, for my friends who raised their hand and said, yeah, this is the, I'm in that season right now, I pray that you would remind them of your goodness today. That you would remind them that while seasons change, that, that you remain. That your love remains. That your steadfast goodness holds them tight, even when their hands get weary of holding you. And Father, I pray over my friends and the resistance that they'll face, the refinement that they'll encounter, Lord. May they accept it. May they walk in it with grace, clinging to you, author, perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing our benediction together this morning.